Episode 89 of the Hanging with Coach Noonan podcast features believer and everyone's favorite four-time world Highland champion and two-time world record holder and funny strength parody video guy, Daniel McKim. Dan McKim, a published author, public speaker, and a world champion strength athlete competing in the Scottish Highland Games, has presented to teams, schools, churches, and at ministry events on the topics of strength, faith, and personal development. Dan resides in North Missouri with his wife Natalie and their five boys. He is also a Little Debbie Snack Cakes ambassador and Soreneck sales rep for the Midwest. Dan and I talk about his throwing career, developing his skits, our journeys with Christ, and more. You can find everything you need to know about Daniel McKim and how to reach out to him through his website, www.believethrower.com. Before we jump into today's episode, just a few housekeeping things. Remember to follow the show on Twitter at HWCM Podcast and share this episode or any that you find value in, as well as remember to, le- remember to leave a rating and review on your favorite platform where you listen to the podcast. If you're in the Dallas area and are looking for some fantastic custom cookies that look almost too good to eat, check out, check out Texas Treaties. Podcast listeners can use a special 10% off promo. Use the code PODCAST to check out. The link to order will be in the show notes. Are you trying to step up your menswear game? Then Etiquette Dawn is the best choice. Etiquette Dawn is a truly custom apparel company that will have you looking like a sharp-dressed man. Check out www.etiquettedawncustomapparel.com for more information. When you need a coffee that works as hard as you do or is as strong as your squat, bench, deadlift, clean, or snatch, then I suggest checking out Viking Coffee Company. Podcast listeners use the code Coffee with Noonan for a 10% discount on single purchases, not subscriptions. Check out VikingCoffeeCo.com for more details and to order the official coffee of the Hanging with Coach Noonan podcast. Drink coffee, work hard. If you're looking for a quick and effective way to keep your weight room and or locker room sanitized, then check out Xanago Sprayer. Bacteria can grow anywhere. The Freedom Sprayer goes with you so you can keep your athletes protected wherever you go. Bacteria stinks. Check out Xanago.com for more information and let them know that Coach Noonan sent you. Enjoy today's episode with Daniel McKim and highly encourage you to enjoy it while enjoying a little Debbie snack cake too. On today's episode of the Hanging with Coach Noonan podcast, I am for sure joined by the man, the myth, the legend, Daniel McKim. You may know him uh, as Maximoff Liftoff, um, the guy that used to throw uh, some heavy things pretty far, world, world record holder in the Highland Games, uh, Sorenex rep, and probably for most notably, uh, Little Debbie brand ambassador, uh, pubbing the, the deliciousness that is those beautiful and delectable snack cakes. Daniel, thanks for taking the time, man, for joining us on the podcast and just chit-chatting. Oh man, I appreciate you, man. That's quite quite the intro. I you're you're a wordsmith, especially when it comes to describing snack cakes. I gotta say, I I, I like it. Well, it's probably just because I've sampled a, a five or seven, you know, dozen and uh and then just listening to you describe. You know, whether it's your top 10 uh, or what do we have seven, seven ice creams and, you know, all the other different cakes, um, you know, you just you, you learn and you you hear other people's descriptions. So I have to credit you and and experience. Well, I, I got to ask then if you are a little Debbie fan, what's your top like? What is you're headed to the gas station, you're headed to Walmart or wherever. And you're like, man, I'm going to give me some little Debs. What are you picking up? Oatmeal cream pies, number one. Good man. <laughs> Good man. I knew we were getting along just fine, my friend. <laughs> Good choice. Yep. Zebra zebra cake is, you know, or any variation of those is number two. Um, yep, and then, obviously, if it's Christmas season, the Christmas trees jump to the top of the list just because they come so scarce. I know. And I've I've debated that, right? So I wanted to tell little Debbie, like, hey. This needs to be around. Not that they would listen to me just as a meathead uh, chubby guy, but I want to say, hey, let's do them year round. But part of me thinks that's what makes them so good, right? 
It's yeah. almost like the Shamrock Shake and McDonald's or the McRib. It's like, do you want it every week? No, you don't. But the fact that it's limited time makes it that much more amazing. I don't know. It is. It's true. It's kind of like um, those that have have an affection for peeps or candy corn. Like they like it at that certain time of the year. But in reality, you'll never get it away from that time of the year just because it's so nostalgic. Right. You grew up with (laughs) that at that time of year. Yeah. Well, which I mean, mean, we're going to talk snacks the whole time, but I will say. I'm not a huge fan of candy corn like peeps. I can dude, I can throw down some peeps. Right. But candy corn. I like candy corn. If it's a mixture in a trail mix, my wife makes an amazing like trail mix. So it's got like candy corn, M&Ms, peanuts, and raisins. And maybe she puts in something dumb like Cheerios or something, but <laughs> we're working on that. She knows that that's the one that could be interchangeable maybe, but I like it that way, but just straight up candy corn. I kind of struggle with. I like that idea of being in the trail mix. Now, to me, if candy corn is around and there's really no other options and I and I just need some sugar, then I'll I'll grab a handful or now, two. Do you eat the yellow part first? Do you or do you just down them? It I just down it, man. I'm not a I don't have a um a method to it. It's just because it's just straight sugar. So it doesn't really matter which way you consume it, it's just all gonna jump start you or crash you either way. Or crash you exactly. <laughs> so I wanted to kind of you know segue from from the snack cakes into the where, where you know I've heard I told you before we got started that I've listened to you on other podcasts, um, and, and I can't remember who might have touched on on the videos kind of more in an in depth. But where did that? come from in terms of like that personality right because you don't you you, people kind of really follow you pay attention to you away from just those videos they know you've participated in highland games you know you you put together weight rooms for sorenex uh you have a large family you're a follower of christ where does the thespian fit into all that (laughs) dude you're just i appreciate your vocabulary man this (laughs) Maybe it's because you remind me of how poor my vocabulary is. So I like it. Uh, the Man. Yeah. Um, I think honestly it comes from, I, I did compete for all those for a number of years post-college and I've always enjoyed that, but man, I've always had this kind of creative, uh, stupid, silly side of me that uh, when I was younger, I used to do some drama for you for church. You know, I would, uh, I would get roped into something. Probably my favorite one I've ever did was uh, like a Mission Possible. If you can imagine like a church version of Mission Impossible. And all you can also imagine me wearing all black, like doing cart roll, uh, really bad cartwheels and uh, somersaults and rolls across the stage, you know, to, uh, you know, doing all that. Uh, it, it was rather uh, tough, difficult, but I enjoyed it. Right. So I've always kind of liked that. But I think where it came from is just, honestly, um, I feel like the, there's our world is devoid of, of joy at times. And honestly, whether in this industry, whether you're a strength coach, you're a strength athlete like I was, you're a power lifter, a crossfitter, Olympic lifter, whoever you are, we all need to sit back and relax and realize, man, this is really cool. Whether we do it for fun or we do it for our work, I get either paid or I pay to do this. And this is cool. And this is fun. And we need to highlight some of our quirkiness. And that's why in my videos, I I poke fun at strength athletes of throwers, especially. I'm always hard on throwers. Strength coaches too. Crossfitters to whoever is just realize, man, where's the joy? We're we're sucking the joy out of life sometimes and of what we do. And I feel like uh, the big thing that my dad always hit me up when I was throwing, because I always have a stinky attitude if I threw bad. That's one thing about throwers, right? You realize real quick, if they didn't throw a PR, it's the end of the world and the sky's falling and doggone it. Why didn't I throw a PR? And so my dad was always hitting on me. Hey, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And I was like, dad, I don't want to talk about that right now. I just <laughs> threw poorly. Just leave me alone, you know? 
but that's kind of where it comes from. And I think where the videos come from, I mean, it's just joy, have joy, have fun, realize that this life is short, that when it, in the grand scheme of things from when we're doing strength stuff, it's, it's not, it's not the end of the world and let's have some fun with it. So I try to try to put that into some of my videos and I try not to hurt feelings or get people mad at me, but just want us to have some fun, you know? Yeah. I think if you get mad, it's probably because you see too much, too much of the truth in something and you're like, Oh my God, that is me spot on. Right. Or you, you know, you, you share it with somebody knowing that it's going to kind of poke fun at a friend or whatnot. But I, I think that's the beauty of it, right? Is we can all relate at some, at, at some point, um, you know, I've, I've been the high school throws coach that you poke fun at the strength coach. Um, you know, I've heard the excuses that you've made up, uh, you know, with kids in the weight room and just, it, it's hilarious because you, there's so much, there's, there's a great shred of truth in the videos that you make. So how have you kind of been inspired to create those videos aside from just your experiences, but just other things in general? Yeah, no, that's a good question, man. And that's, Kind of what, and what I find interesting sometimes on social media is how people will go, well, I'm not like that. Or, <laughs> or they're like, oh, well, someone got their feelings hurt and has to make this video. I'm like, bro, like, you just calm, settle down. Like, I've said these things. A lot of those high school things that I make little high school videos were high school excuses. Dude, uh, I knew exactly when the time to go to the bathroom was if we're about to squat. Let's be honest. Or, hey, we're going to run some... My coach, my strength coach, he was awesome in high school, early. I'm an older, I'm, I'm in my four, I'm 40 now, but we had a strength coach. He was CSCS. I mean, like this was rare and we're doing harness pulls. I hated that, but I knew, you knew how to, who to partner up with. Come on. It wasn't going to be some guy my same size. It was going to be some little guy that I intimidated. It's like, bro, cross country runner. You run harness pulls with me. I'm going to pull you across the gym. And they're like, oh, McKim, <laughs> I don't want to pull you. <laughs> like, yeah, well, it's how it's going to go. And so, yeah, I say all these things in those videos are things that I've said, I've done. A lot of the meathead stuff that I make fun of is drawn the same way. Like, let's hit arms. Forget squats. <laughs> let's do arms. So uh, I try to balance that as I don't want to. And I guess that's comedy, right? That's the hard part about comedy is there's always, and you said it perfectly, I and mean, there's a shed of truth in virtually all comedy, right? It can be exaggerated. It can be outlandish. But there's got to be some shred of truth. You're like, wow, I've thought that or I did that. <laughs> Whoops, yeah. I've said that a few times. But the big thing I want to always convey is like, it's, it's we're having fun. I'm laughing at myself. And if you see yourself in it, too, great. Let's just let's just laugh and realize, man, have some joy in this life. Yeah, no, I, absolutely. You, you you talked about with throwers and if they don't throw a PR, it's the end of the world. and. I was blessed for the past two seasons to to coach some really awesome throwers, um, two two of which in particular on the female side uh, got got tickets punched to the regional uh, throwing uh, meet, and then one punched her ticket to state this past year. Awesome. But what I noticed is in the, in terms of a mindset. Now, you're someone that's competed at the high school, the collegiate level, and then a professional level with the Highland Games. How did your mindset evolve to get away from just if it's not a PR, it's it's not the end of the world? Um, and how did you make sure to put yourself in the right mindset when when it truly mattered the most in terms of your performance? Right. You had to you had to get this throw to advance or you had to, hmm. you know, you're throwing for a world record like th th that has to enter into your mind, right? You don't just go, well, I'm going to throw it and oh, crap, it's a world record. Yeah. Whoops. Oh, I guess I just threw world record. Didn't know it. Oh, well, you know, yeah, no, that definitely was not me. And it's, it's an interesting question, man, because I was not that way. In high school, quick story, my high school, my senior year, right? So I'm state of Missouri. I had the number one throw in 3A state that year. And we're getting ready and we're getting where I warm up. And I'm like, bro, I, this is my chance to win a state championship. I'm going to do it. I got it. My very first throw in warmups, my discus blows up. 
Okay. It literally, we were thrown on a hard ground and it folded inside itself. And the judge was like, well, you don't have a discus anymore, son. Now, as a typical thrower, as you know, I practically slept with that discus. It went with me everywhere I went. Uh, I didn't let anybody else throw it. I cleaned it after every throw. That thing was my baby. And all of a sudden, oh no, the sky is falling. The end is near. Let's cancel the meet. My discus is blown up. Yeah, I didn't have a backup discus that I liked as well. So I'm sitting there going through everybody's discus trying to find one. And I'm freaking out, right? Fast forward to about an hour later, I'm sitting on the hillside, bawling my eyes out because I didn't even make finals because I just crumbled. What was cool about that as a coach was my head track coach. Dude, he came down and this a state track me at that time. He had this massive hillside and it would overlook the whole area. It was it was really a bummer to walk up. And if coach coach ever parked up there, he had a long walk up the hill. It was miserable. But it was a great venue to just sit there and look, right? And I remember just sitting there just bawling and crying and <laughs> I'm just upset. And my, my coach comes, not my throws coach, my head track coach. He came and just sat by me and just cried with me. And it was to this day, one of the cool, I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it. One of the coolest things a coach has ever done with me is because he didn't come and say, man, you should have, why didn't you worry about this? You should have got this discus. Why did I even bother you? What was going on? He didn't say that at all. He just sat there and cried with me because he was crushed for me. And that guy, Mike Thompson will forever have my respect. I'll run through a wall for that guy for all those years. To this day, it still impacts me. That was awesome. Now, what I'll also say is when I went to college and was a thrower, uh, I threw a D2 at Northwest, Northwest Missouri State University. I went to six national championships. No, it didn't take me 12 years to get through. I went to three, three indoor and three outdoor. And every year I was seated to be an All-American. And I walked away with an All-American once. And it was an eighth place and I barely did it. I choked at every big competition when it came to state, or sorry, when it came to state and high school to nationals as a, as a, as a college collegiate thrower. And it was, and I hated it. So when I started throwing the Highland Games post-college, that's the one thing I told myself was like, okay, you're not going to choke at worlds or nationals or any big comp, you're not going to do it. So the way I approached it was something I wish I'd have done in high school and college. I wish someone had, had pulled me aside and told me this, but is I would create the scenario in practice. I would create ghost throwers. And so I would create the situation. I'd be warming up. I'd be coming to the end of my practice session. I'd be like, all right, dude. Okay. Last throw, uh, 28 pound weight for distance. Mike is throwing 81. Matt's throwing 82. Uh, you have you have three throws or you have two throws left. You have to throw an 84 to win this comp or you don't or you go home or you lose or whatever. I would paint the scenario. And so I would I would mentally I would prepare myself and I would have to throw legal throws. Peter, you know how it goes yep. in practice. Yep. Coaches or kids are blowing through the front and all that stuff. Well, if, it, if I'd have, I could have kept my feet in, you know, but they never did. And so I was like, I got to do legal throws. I got to keep it ready. And I'm going to create this scenario. And so I would ghost throwers. I pretended they were there and everything. And I would throw. And many days I would win. And some days I would lose. And how do you handle that? So I guess the big thing I wish I would have done more of is ghost, what I called ghost throwers. People by name, people you know, people you can picture. So it's not just a fictional character that you're throwing against. And this could even apply to high schoolers too. It was like, cause they know I've got a, my oldest is a freshman in high school, which by the way, he's a high jumper now too, which I know nothing. And so that is, uh, that is always, I was like, Hey, don't ask me jump higher. Like, why don't you bend more <laughs> Get over the bar? And he's like, dad, just, just stop. I was like, okay, I'll support you from your son. But uh, he knows, I mean, within the second track, I mean, he knew all the high jumpers, even though he was a thrower beforehand. But he knows all the throwers. He knows all the high jumpers. They know each other. Oh, yeah. And so even if it's high school or college, like paint them by name, the, the rival they're going against and create that and to know. So when those situations and what helped me, man, honestly, and I know I'm rambling. I'm sorry. Dude, I didn't mean to oh, you're good, man. I love this. Like this, dude, is that when I came down to those situations, I was like, man, I've been here before. And it was critical for me because I struggled with it so much for all those years. And man, and it got to where my senior year in college, I was like, ah, 
coming to nationals, gonna choke again. You know, like I knew it was coming. I'd already mentally defeated myself and I hated that. And so did it work all the time? No, I still lost, but it did help. And, and what's, what's, what's crazy is that by the end of my career, I had those times where I needed a big throw at the end and I, and I reached down and did it. Right. And so there was a time, um, uh, and there were times I don't regret. So anyways, I have one more story. Can I tell you one more story? You can tell as many as you want, man. Okay. <laughs> Cause I know my wife's like, I heard you on a podcast downstairs. Did you let anybody else talk? And I was like, well, no. <laughs> so I, uh, national, uh, world championships, 2014 in Scotland. Okay. And we're coming down and we're throwing, uh, throwing the, uh, stone throw. Anyway, I won't give you the whole background story of it, but more or less what it was is I knew, cause we had a bunch of, man, we had an Olympian Olympic shot putter that got into the Highland games. And so he was just blasting the stones. We had another guy who was a Commonwealth Games guy out of England, and he was blasting stones. And so I was like, man, I got to get some points here. And the only way I knew I could get points is I just got to go after this throw. And I remember sitting here, and part of what I knew was that in 2012, I kind of I lost because I didn't I, I played not to I played not to lose. I didn't play to win. And so I was like, man, I just got to go after this throw if I'm gonna have a chance. And dude, I blasted one out there. Like, oh, man, yeah. Scratched it, right? And so I lost those points I needed. Had I kept that legal throw, I would have won the overall. I wound up losing the overall by one point, right? And the World Championships in Scotland, I was like kind of devastated, but I was able to I was able to uh, go through it better because I knew I gave my best and was willing to at least try and to go after a big throw. So anyways, long story short, uh, I could have summarized and say, hey, just do ghost throwers. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it, it's good to give greater context, you know, as you're, you're talking about it. And, you know, my follow up question is, is puts you in, you know, I'm going to put you in the same category as as goats of Kobe, Tom Brady, Michael Jordan. You know, when you when you own world records, you know, your four time, you know, world record holder, you know, Brian Shaw type type stuff you have to envision yourself against that competition right but at the same time you have to also kind of be in that that zone right we're all as athletes or or whatever you're doing you're always trying to chase being in the zone right so for you what did being in the zone look like if you could actually remember and recount that Man, you make sound. What kind of question is that, Peter? If I can actually remember, like, like that. <laughs> it's like memory problems or something, dear buddy. <laughs> hey, man. Well, you know, sometimes you just can't oh, describe. I'm just playing. You're, just, you're in it. I don't know. Sometimes you've been hitting his head too many times, possibly. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, Peter, back in my day, when I would put on my kilt, if I put it on the right way, I would look into the sky. No, okay. <laughs> so no, I would. Uh, no, man, in the zone for me was different in all the events. So the Scottish Island Games, you have typically have eight events that you have to throw in. And so I finally would break it down in all the years I was coming, I'd break it down in event, event, event by event. So I would have to be in the zone differently for different events. And so I don't know how this applies to other athletes. I don't know if that's like what that would look like in other sports, but I can all I can speak on is what, what it was for me is that uh, and I won't give you all of them, but like for, for one of them was um, the weight over bar, a uh, big thing for me to be in the zone was there's a scripture and I, and I'm sorry, I can't remember where it is, but God's talking to David. And he says, when you see the treetops and you hear in the treetops marching, you hear the marching of feet, that's the angels. And they're there, bro. And the bro, the bro part, Jesus didn't, God didn't say, but I did is they're coming to fight for you and they're with you. And so weight over bar, which is the 56 pound weight up over essentially a height or a pole vault bar, uh, one handed 56. And so two things I would do to get in the zone for that and to be there mentally and to be ready. And I knew the things I had to do is was routine, right? I always marked out my steps and I had steps and I, every single time. So that helped me be in the zone. Number two thing is that I would honestly think of my kids, man. And with the Highland games, as I got, more when I got further along in my career, 
was a pro, I couldn't, I can't bring my kids. I, I can't afford, I got five boys and a wife. I can't afford six plane tickets to fly them over the country and whatever, and, and across and maybe in Europe or whatever to be there with me. Right. I didn't make that much money. And, uh, <laughs> and so I would picture them there and I would think of them there cheering on dad. Right. And if for anybody who's a dad, like if your kids are cheering for you, dude, that's, that's legit. And so number one was that. And number two, honestly, is I would look to the, I would find trees. And now I know that in the grand scheme of things of like pulling a bar, pulling a weight and throw it over a bar. Is that a great thing to change the world? No, it's absolutely not. Right. But that's what God had given me. God had told me that is what God had trusted me to do and that gift he had given me. And so it was a mind reminder for me to see the trees and watch them in the breeze to remind, hey, win, lose or draw today. God's got your back. I've got a relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm good to go. And so it would just create this. It would create this adrenaline within me. All those things would create adrenaline. It would create extreme focus and, and extreme joy, because no matter what. I got my kids, I got my family, I got my God, and I'm doing, I'm throwing stuff and having a great time doing it. So those are the things like, and, and so again, not to break it down, but every event I had different ways that I had to kind of get in the zone, right? And to get in that mental focus, but I had to break them down over the years of what works for me and what's going to make me perform at my best, I guess. Yeah, no, that makes absolute sense. Um, you know, as you're, Referencing, and I couldn't tell you um, what what verse and, and what book. Um, that's the part of my journey with Christ that I'm trying to be better at is truly memorizing Scripture and being able to to do a better job of referencing it. Um, but I, I, you know, I listened to you on the Sports Spectrum podcast, and I just was I was really moved by your just the way in which you realized what you can do with your participation in the Highland games, you know, and using yourself as a vessel to share the gospel. Was there ever a point where you put kind of God on the back burner and was like, okay, right now it's about Daniel. It's about, I, I, I've got to go get the, I, you know, this is my next thing I've got to chase after or, were you just able to always kind of keep him centered uh, and, and keep it going? Cause I think that's a, that's a real life struggle for a lot of believers and followers is remembering that everything comes from him that you're able to do versus yeah, I, I did it on my own, but did you really, right? Or if you did it on your own, was it truly worthwhile? Yeah. Right. How much did you sacrifice to make that happen type of thing? Right. No, I think, I think I would, I would love to tell you like, yeah, man, I always had God at the forefront. <laughs> I'm so humble. What a great Christian am I? I am. I would love to tell you that, but that would be, that would be false, man. Um, I think honestly where I struggled with that most was college. And I think God taught me a lot with that with college. And part of that was six trips to nationals, came away one time <laughs> placing, right? and choking all that time. And so what I, what I decided to do is post-college when I started getting the Highland games, I was like, you know what? I felt like this. I've done too much of this throwing stuff for me. And it was just, I was too selfish and focused on myself in college. I'm going to make this more focused on Christ. So I created these red belief shirts. So it was just a red shirt that believe on the front and on the back was Mark 115. Jesus said, the kingdom of God is near repent and believe the good news. So any chance I had, whether I could compete in it or if I had to wear their shirt, I couldn't compete in it. It was before the comp. It was after the comp. I was always wearing that red belief shirt. So hopefully people would ask me, people would talk and, and it would also be a reminder for me, hey, man, this ain't about you. You need to focus and turn people to Christ in this and not do like I did in college, which was I was, man, when I say throwers are angry about throws and stuff, man, I had frustrations, you know, and I had a surgery my freshman year and all these things. And I was just so like focused on distance and improvement and all those things that I was, was not focusing on relationships. Like I should have, I think like pointing people to Christ, having, um, 
having the sport using the platform for Christ. And so that's why I wanted to change that when I was uh, when I was post post college and uh, and do it that way. But it was a good reminder for myself, too. I love that. You know, and I think that that's that is something that, you know, as my wife and I have uh, started attending a, uh, a marriage workshop class at our church, you know, one of the, the, the main theme of it is marriage on a mission. Right. And uh, we neither of us have ever been on any missions, um, but it does make you wonder, like, OK, since we're both educators and we and she does she does kindergarten. Um, so, you know, that, that's a little bit different, um, in terms of that conversation, if any conversations with those kids, um, you know, their, their, their concept is let's just work on good and bad and like, you know, good being paying attention and bad being don't, don't eat the glue and, uh, <laughs> don't, don't run around with scissors and stop hitting, stop hitting your neighbor. Like, you know, the, the, those smaller things to build up. Um, you know, but for me, working in the high school setting, you know, there's so much that these kids are exposed to, you know, and, and I don't know um, what your son sees in high school uh, in terms in any conversations you guys have had. But just you wonder, like, where is where is Christ in in these kids lives? Um, you know, and, and that's that's not to say that whatever they already believe in is good or bad. That, that's for them to. Uh, decide and you know if you're jewish or atheist or or you know buddhist that that's that's you you know that's that our job is just simply to at least be an you know try to be an example of of heaven on earth as best we can you know and um but you do wonder like where is that um you know i remember growing up uh catholic and you know i did everything I did the altar serving. I was at mass all the time, you know, and, to, and my parents are still at the same church that I grew up in, but you know, you kind of move, move away. And then you kind of, and then you come back and, you know, I, I just, I credit you for being humble enough to, to express, you know, where you kind of had a, I don't know to say a falling away or, or anything, but you just, you realize that he wasn't centered, but now you have this platform and you can use social media for spreading the gospel. And, and I think it's important that 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 gets done and it's done on, on somebody's platform that a lot of people see, you know, in a variety of different ways, whether they come to you from the strength conditioning side, they see the videos, they want to hear your take on, you know, snack cakes. It's it's awesome, man. It's awesome that you're open to just allowing that to happen through you. I appreciate it, man. I appreciate it. When you kind of were coming to the end of your career in the Highland Games, you know, you got the family and you got to make a living. You know, you you I know you talked about it before. You didn't make a whole lot of money throwing things anyway. How did you transition from you know thrower to dad and? the J-O-B type deal? Yeah. <laughs> well, all those years I was thrown. So I started, I was an amateur for a few years. And then and I remember telling my wife, I was like, yeah, I'm just going to throw. And this is really great. And before we had kids, you know, we were traveling around, driving around the Midwest. And she's watching me compete. I'll use that loosely. She was reading books while I competed and usually took a nap in the sun. And so she uh, and then would drive me home while I'm, you know, hanging out the window with a Braveheart sword, thinking I was pretty much the pinnacle of man level at that time, you know. And so uh, I uh, I was doing that. And then I couldn't believe it in 2007 when somebody said, hey, man, would you turn pro? And I was like, wait a second. You tell me you want to pay me to do this. You realize I'm doing it for free right now. Right. <laughs> and so it actually cost me money to do this. And so, and I told my wife at the time, I was like, hey, all right, let's, I just want to do this for five years. Can you just let me throw professionally for five years? And she said, yeah, sure, five years. Well, 10 years later, I retired uh, and we see who won that. No, she was gracious enough. And it was a, it was one of those things, man, where I still had my job. I'm still working full time. And 
um, I was doing this on the side and it was away from my wife. We felt it was important for her at the time, um, stayed home with the kids. And so it was my way of doing that, uh, was to provide that extra money for her and for the family. There were definitely some hard times through the years, some different things and, and, uh, financially making things happen and, and making things work, but that was important for us. And then honestly, it got to a time at the end where, where it was, man, I could still throw for a few more years. I'm still at my peak or near peak, and I could still throw for a few more years. But at what sacrifice of family? By then, I have five. We have five boys. It's just, it's just getting harder and harder, man. It was getting harder to be away. It was getting harder to practice because I was one of those. Here's the, here's the thing, Peter is like. It's no secret. Like I am not the strongest guy. I am not, I am definitely not the most athletic guy. I'm not the biggest guy. So the only way I was going to compete was through the hand, gracious hand of Jesus Christ for one. And for two was for me to just outwork people and try to outwork people and just work. And so I was the guy get up at 4 15, 4 30. I'd go, I'd go to the gym, I'd go train. And then I'll drive 45 minutes to an hour into work. I was living in Kansas city. I was driving 45 minutes to an hour into work. Work till 4.30 or 5, drive the hour back through traffic, grab a quick dinner, and then I was back out in the field throwing. I'd throw for an hour and a half, two hours, four to seven times a week. And I was just doing that. And I come home, see the family again, and I go to bed, I go to bed and wake up and do it again. Sleep about five and a half, six hours at most and do it. And I just had to put the work in. And it kind of got to a point at the end, man, where I was just like, you know what? I, I'm it's one thing to be gone and traveling and competing, but just the time of, of practice was just getting so much and I was missing out on stuff. And so that's when I decided, I was like, man, I just need to, I need to transition out of here for my family. And so by that time I was a lot more comfortable with my, my job with Sornex. I started working for Sornex a few years before that. And uh, I was like, man, I find where God wants me to be, where my career is, I'm here. And so, but it's one of those things, man, like, it's funny you say that because I've been thinking about it and occasionally videos pop up of like back when I was throwing and man, when I retired, so at Celtic classic, which is our national championship, my very last competition, the big thing in the Highland games, when you retire is you leave your shoes on the field. Right. And so the last event was, it was a challenge caber, which is the long pole toss, right? You throw the pole in over in. And so the guys worked it out. So when I was throwing my last throw, they walked it up to me. So instead of the, instead of the, uh, the assistant, you know, the helpers and the judges to walk up, they went and got the caber. They all walked it to me and stood it up and they all said, said nice things to me as they passed by. And I got to throw it one last time, right? Crowd was there. And I threw it one last time, you know, storybook ending through 12 o'clock, which is a perfect throw. You know, I was like, Oh man. And I remember bending down and I, I tie my shoes. I leave them there, and I wave to the crowd. Those people had watched me nine straight years, through the years, and so some of those people came out every year, see me every year, talk and take pictures with the kids. And so I remember just like bawling. You, you get a theme here, Peter. Like I'm softy, man. I'm crying and <laughs> I'm crying and as a professional thrower. But as sad as I was to see that chapter close, I was really excited to see the next thing. You know. And I think, honestly, if I can say, man, where I feel that strength athletes fall short sometimes, where we have problems is when our identity is found in the things that we do, right? I was a thrower. I was a strength athlete. That's what I did. That's not who I am. That's not who I was. And my identity is found in Christ. My identity is as a father and as a husband, as an employee, as a guy, I like, I'm, I like these things. This is the strength is what I do. Right. So where we get in trouble is when we sit there and we put all of our focus and self-worth into the very fact of being strong, being athletic, being whatever, because guess what? Those are fleeting. Those leave. And where we see a lot of strength athletes, power lifters, dude, we, you and I could go down the list of power lifters who struggled with depression and suicide thoughts and suicide that actually happens pro wrestlers to bodybuilders to Olympic lifters. What happens is 
you're no longer the big, strong dude in the room. Eventually, eventually it's not you because you can't because age catch up, catches up with you. And so where we see a problem when, and I feel is a problem and I, and I want us to change it is that people putting their wrapping into everything, into what they can do in the gym, what they can do on the athletic field, and then realize one day that's gone. Who are you now? And that is a challenge for me. And I remember, and I'm not saying I've been perfect, but I've struggled with it. I think everybody does. If you've been bit by the iron bug, it's going to get you. It's going to be tough. There, dude, I can't tell you. Now I'm done competing. I'm on this like slow diet, you know, slow body weight decline, whatever you <laughs> want to call it. And there are days where I'm like, bro, man, my bench is just struggling. I'm going to gain 10 more pounds, right? And I'm, I shoot that weight back up. And it's like, and then I sit there and then a couple months later, I'm like, what? Are you idiot? You were making good progress. All because you're chasing a big bench. Just bring it back down again, you know? And so health wise. And so I, anyways, my big, my challenge, man, is like, somehow we've got to figure a way to the strength industry. We've got to do a better job of people realizing we have to realize our identity is not and how much we bench squat or deadlift. It's something we do. It's something we do. It's great. It's fun. It's awesome. I'm still going to do it. I still love to lift. I still lift. But if my identity is found in that very thing, it's going to end. And then what happens? And if you're not something else besides what you, you're training, then you're going to struggle. And we got to figure that out. We got to be better about it. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you 100%. Even in the, uh, in the coaching side of things, I, I think too many times coaches get wrapped up in well, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm this, I'm this position coach. I'm that, you know, I'm part of this coaching tree and you just, at, at some point you're not going to coach anymore or, yeah. you know, somebody, some, somebody's going to do something a little bit different that produces the same, if not potentially better results. And it's, <laughs> you're, you're going to get passed up. Right. I remember working for a guy and, you know, he said, there's, there's never going to be enough wins, um, mm -hmm. you know, and, and that's the truth is you're just. That's a great quote. Man. Is, is it just, you know, are you always going to chase the wins? Cause you're just going to be chasing your tail. I, I, you know, it would yeah. go through ebbs and flows and good teams and average teams and not so good teams. Um, you know, change, change at the top. I've been at several different places across the state of Texas where head coaches changed and, signals changing at the guard and people go. And so you got to pack up and move or you, you know, I think the other deal is you get caught up chasing titles and that's probably the biggest problem in the coaching world is you chase titles more than you're just, you know, understanding that your identity is not the next title, but it is how you can impact where you're at, you know, Absolutely. coaching where your feet are. Yeah. That's, that's a good word, man. Very good. Well, luckily, I've I've heard enough smarter people tell me something, so I think it's finally starting to stick. Um, my yeah. wife and I have had conversation about uh, my career and just her career in education and, and just the way that things are for us and the way we view the changing in education. And so we've we've had a lot of discussion about, you know, is this is this part of our life coming to an end in terms of being in the classroom and, you know, what is the next deal? And that's the scary part, you know, like stepping away from what you've been doing for 10 plus years is, you know, it's just like you said, you're, you're almost feeling like you're, you're that, you know, that horrible and recurring nightmare where you're like standing naked in front of everybody. And, you know, you're just exposed. Like, well, what do I do next? How do I wrap myself in, in that fleeting deal when in reality, you know, we know that God is our, our shield and our reward and, and wrapping ourselves in that just has a lot more peace and comfort. That's right. Absolutely. Right, man. Well, I want to, you know, wrap up and, and uh, get you out on a couple of deals. Uh, I I'd reached out to some friends, you know, said, Hey, I'm, I'm recording with Daniel McKim. Somebody was like, who's that? I was like, the guy that does all the, funny videos and uh and the little debbie oh yeah he's awesome cool <laughs> uh, so 
you know, I, I'm curious now that you've got a, a kid in high school um, and, and I don't know how, how the, what, what you guys do with, with the rest of the, uh-huh. you know, starting five squad that you have, you know, if they're, they're all in school or homeschooled, but do your kids, like, how are you known to your, your kids friends? Like, are you, are you Daniel McKim, like, you know, the, the goofy dad or like, how does that work? Oh man. <laughs> I am known to, <laughs> I'm known to my kids, friends, honestly, by the videos. Uh, Cause they'll come and their t- teachers will be like, Hey, I saw your dad's video. That was really funny. I like his videos. The more my boy comes home, he's like, dad, you post a video. And I was like, yeah. And he's like, can you let me watch them occasionally? Cause Teachers talk about him. I have no idea what they're talking about because he doesn't have social media. Uh, we don't do social media with the boys, but uh, but I, that is that is a humbling thing, right? Because kids are like, oh yeah, I watch your dad's videos. That's funny, and they know me as like the goofy guy that does little Debbie stuff. And you know, selfishly, I'm like, guys, that's just like just being fun, being stupid. Like, I worked my butt off. For 13 years, 22 years in all, throwing stuff, trying to get better and trying to be a world champion. You want to talk about that? No. No, you don't. <laughs> you want to talk about the little video I made for five minutes? <laughs> that means nothing, you know? And so, yeah, it's definitely humbling because in your mind, you're like, yeah, I'm the I'm the big, strong dad that lifts weights. I used to be a big, used to be a thrower, you know? You know, like, they're like, oh, that's cool. I saw your video on TikTok. That's pretty funny. <laughs> come on kids <laughs> have you have, have have any of your kids or, or your their friends you know challenged you in terms of the lifts and and or are you still far enough away in terms of your your numbers to where they, they, they don't have any reason to challenge right now <laughs> oh man i've started training so my two oldest it's been an awesome blessing so we started training this summer they're training with me and so they brought a buddy with him and I was like, Hey, bring all your buddies. And so that's honestly been helpful. I'm about, I'm about 35, 40 pounds lighter than I was in my competing weight. So I, I ain't winning any, you know, PR contests, you know, <laughs> fitting my stuff, but I still got the juice, you know, to, to hit out some big sets, you know, and they're like, Oh, your dad's, your dad's pretty strong. <laughs> you know, again, <laughs> selfishly, you're like, well, you should have seen me 40 pounds ago, buddy. <laughs> You think that's good. You should have seen me. And then you're like, they don't care, dude. Just shut up. You don't talk about your glory days, these kids. No. <laughs> but I don't challenge them. They don't challenge me to any running events either. So I'm not going well, to be rough. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was listening to, and I know we hadn't dabbled in, in terms of the outdoor stuff, but I was listening to the one podcast, I think it was the healthy hunter. And you had talked about, you know, doing some, some big trophy hunts. Um, I don't remember when that episode had come out, but have you had a chance to, to go after any big, big game? Dude, I am, I love hunting and I love fishing. I am really bad at both and, but I enjoy it. So I will say anymore now. So my oldest is a fresh, I have just finished a freshman, seventh grader, the twins, fourth grade, and then my youngest second grade. And so, like, when it gets to be deer season, it's like, all right, Dad, it's my night tonight. So after school, pick them up, and we'll go out, and we'll go to the deer stand. And so I haven't shot a deer in a couple of years. <laughs> so, But I'm, I'm cool with that. This last year, two of my boys got uh, two of their, two of my boys got bucks, and they were just completely over the moon and just great. So, no, no big trophy hunts for me, just out with my kids. The way I kind of figure is I'm going to have plenty of years to – try to hunt, you know, someday, but I'm only going to have so many years with my boys at home that I can just go out and build those memories. So I will continue to eat tag soup for many years, I think, but that's okay. <laughs> well, last question is, and I probably potentially the second most, you know, beyond you explaining um, your, your relationship to Christ, but the beard, man, I don't, I don't feel like you give enough, love and attention to that glorious thing on your face it's a spectacle oh well uh i appreciate that i i 
I try to keep it somewhat conditioned. Uh, I will say I had some friends this weekend. We were at a birthday party with a buddy of mine, and they they uh, <laughs> they challenged me if I could fit French fries in my beard. <laughs> Lo and behold, I was able to hide two of them in my beard for a undisclosed amount of time, and no one noticed. <laughs> so I I did not showcase to my wife by pulling one out and eating it, but. I have a couple of buddies who have sworn <laughs> sworn that I am to do that or else they're no longer my friends. So I guess you have to stay tuned to see if I can pull it off uh, without her puking, <laughs> but we might do it. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, man, Daniel, thank you so much. This has been a, an honor and a pleasure. And I'm so blessed that we've been able to do this. Um, if for whatever reason the people listening have not found you, uh, could you enlighten them on where to find you, uh, whether they want to uh, be entertained and have a little more joy in their life with your videos, uh, to know which little Debbie snacks to pick up on their next gas station trip, uh, if they're a high school coach looking to outfit their weight room, you know, any any of the above, uh, where it's the best place to, to contact you or at least just uh, see your content. Yeah. I appreciate you, man. Uh, believe thrower.com is my website. You'll find stuff uh, about me and ways to contact me there. But honestly, if you search, uh, Daniel McKim, Instagram or Twitter, uh, I jumped on the whole TikTok thing, uh, as well. So you can find me there. We'd love to talk and chat, especially if, uh, whatever y'all want to talk about, just let me know. And we'd love to connect with anybody. Well, I appreciate it, man. Thank you so much for the time and continue doing all the great things that you're doing and uh, making us all smile a little bit more. I appreciate you, brother. It was good to chat, bro.